Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has a, let's say, an uncomfortable love of sunburnt English bodies. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and as you know, women love fashion. <laughs> and women love blue because they love fashion. Except for the English. <laughs> Except for the English. This is it's such a, this is like one of the honestly speaking that may have been one of the strangely funnest thing like oh, most fun yeah, things was, I've ever watched. It was so it was so delightful. Like and then every time like all those ones where it cuts to like where it'll be like the like a mosque in Africa or something like that and then it says the name of the place yeah. and she says the name of the place and like it, right. like what like I'm more curious about the south of France than I've ever been in my entire <laughs> life. Like, what is going on there? Well, that's good, because this was definitely... Is it the Gatlinburg of Europe? <laughs> Very well. Essentially, uh, if Gatlinburg were also the center of a uh, internationally recognized film... Right. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure they would love to be. Oh, yeah. Gatlinburg would like to be all things to all people, if possible. <laughs> Who, uh, what... What star do you think is the equivalent of uh, French Dolly Parton? Uh, is there? I, I, is Bardo there, is not a is not a. Is there a Bardo Wood in? Uh, <laughs> I, in nice? I mean, I kind of think there might be, because it is it is somewhere between it. I I was it's somewhere between Gatlinburg and 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 Vegas. Yeah, because the scale's just not Vegas level. Right from what I saw in the video, but like it's not. It, it probably is just Gatlinburg. It seems pretty kitschy and weird, right? Like, I seem. I feel like in Nice there must be a lot of stores that sell things that are exclusively for tourists, right? That are like right. all kind of a scam, right? Right. And most most of that architecture is now. Now, admittedly, some of that architecture is probably uh, actual legitimate, like cultural. Well, influence. right. Some of that would be directly related to the history of the place, <laughs> right? Um, Right, but it is just it, especially the way this film specifically presented it. Right, was was kind of making fun of that anyway, and the, so it was right. it was very enjoyable. Before we get into the uh, the films this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you uh, can help us out, and you can also watch a bonus episode. I mean, episode. you could also punish us. That's part of that the is, deal. That is a possibility, actually, because over there, at just a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode, and you get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. Uh, and one of the options every month is... Kazam, the 1996 Shaquille O'Neal starring children's film, which masterpiece. is, yeah, a masterpiece of sorts. <laughs> we you know, what not to do with Shaquille O'Neal in right, a film, right? We, basically, we put together a list over there. Uh, 
usually themed, uh, sometimes off of one of the movies off of the main podcast we've watched recently, sometimes just whatever's floating around in my head. Once it was films that share a title with Criterion Collection films, uh, and from that... Which was a mistake. From that, we ended up watching Will Ferrell's Kicking and Screaming, and it was it was one of our worst mistakes. <laughs> uh, it is terrible. Uh, uh, the most recent post up there is actually... Um, kind of inspired by some New York Times criticism last month of the Criterion Collection. Uh, We uh, put together a list drawing all from uh, the distribution company Array, which is focused on getting film of uh, people of color and women uh, filmmakers from around the world and distributing that in the U.S. So we don't know, as of this recording, what movie we're going to watch from there yet. Uh, but there's a good chance it'll be uh, from Africa, and the Criterion Collection is not well representative of African cinema, so I'm very interested in watching a more recently produced African film. Uh, yeah, it's just it's it is a cultural yeah, blind spot. So, uh, unfortunately, I think it might be sort of a cultural blind spot for a lot of our voters too. So. Sorry that I'm well, making you know, everyone I mean, do research. Sort of the fun of it, right? But yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. So we gave you some homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, hope you enjoy. You don't it. have to watch all four movies yet. Uh, you can just pick one at random and then watch it with us. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that's uh, Patreon.com/slash/LostInCriterion, and that is one dollar. Uh, we do a couple other things over there. A couple higher tiers at five dollars. We like to thank those people on air. Uh, we don't have any five dollars supporters right now, but the good news is we don't have any $5 supporters because they've all popped up to $10, and we do have— They all want that sweet, sweet mail. They do. At $10 and above, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched on the main podcast recently. Usually on the main podcast. Not always, but usually. Uh, I get that art printed up on a postcard, and then I write a little thank you note and mail that off. Uh, so if you like mail, if you like bespoke art, uh, and we know you do, so— <laughs> Clearly. $10 and above gets you in on that. And we also like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, to Jason Westhaver, to Jonathan Hape, Patrick Yoko, Christopher Otto, and Michael McGrath for your $10 and above supports. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. Very grateful to, uh, to have you guys supporting us like that. Thank you so much. This week we are finishing up the 4 by Agnes Varda box set of which we only actually watched two movies because the box set also includes two films that we watched years ago. Um, last week we had a fantastic episode with Adam Spickerman as our guest talking about Le Bon Hor. Uh Two weeks ago we talked about Le Pointe Court, uh, Agnes Varda's uh, first directorial debut. Uh, years ago we talked about Cleo from 5 to 7 and Vagabond. Um which are also part of this box set. And we are finishing things up with a couple of shorts that are also included on that set. Uh, they are uh, Le Apre Mouf, which is a film Varda made while she was pregnant with her daughter. Uh, it is about pregnancy. It is about the neighborhood of uh, Le Mouf. It is about life and death and all sorts of things. Uh, we right, also right. watched a documentary called De Cote de la Cote, uh, which is what we were talking about 
in the <laughs> opening. Maybe one of my new favorite films. Yeah, it is a delightful touristy video that is also kind of mocking touristy videos uh, about uh, the French Riviera. Uh, and we are also going to talk a little bit, and as much as we can talk about it, Le uh, Fiances du Pont MacDonald, uh, which is a short film, a five-minute microfilm in black and white and silent that is the film the main character watches in Cleo from 5 to 7, included in its entirety on this DVD. Though mostly Which included in its adds entirety. about like right. 20 seconds. Right. It was basically in its entirety it's... in the film anyway because it's only five minutes long and that's why. I, I personally right. was very disappointed that that was true. Oh, I was I'm still sorry. holding out hope that like that there was like a couple, I, you know, I mean, I found the the that video to be so ridiculous that oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, give me a little bit more of this, please. <laughs> a little bit more would have been nice. Uh, so just a little. Yeah. Uh, uh, but no, alas, it is just that. I mean, it's still good, but you know. Well, Pat, which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, interesting that you should ask that because I kind of was, I, I wasn't sure how we were going to handle this because, um, you know, in a sense they are sort of, uh, it's more kind of in my mind how they play into what we sort of now see as the Varda, you know, collection, the sort of oeuvre, yeah. um, which is a word I learned. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Can you discreetly talk? I mean, like we could talk about that one. The uh, old McDonald doesn't <laughs> know how to use his glasses or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> French, but. Uh, sure. Let's, let's start with that one. Um, uh, I'm fascinated by the fact that um, of the, who the cast is. Yes. Now that like, now that we can actually see the list of the cast members, which is a thing right. we don't get in Cleo Five to Seven, yeah, and really um, know who they are, um, yeah. Though, though, to be fair, uh, in that episode, uh, I, in watching it again, uh, remember that way back then we did recognize that Eddie Valentine was in it because, or Eddie Constantine, rather, Eddie Constantine show. was in it because we had just watched Alphaville. Um, which he stars in. Um, and we knew it was Goddard and Anna Karina just because that was right. readily I mean, available that information. That is a thing that, that <laughs> happened so long ago. Yeah. It is a thing I had right. completely forgotten. Um, so I was still... Kind of surprised and, I mean, by it. you know, that still looks like Goddard, so it doesn't really... <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, like... But that's the only face we get to really... Like, I mean... Right. His face is just his face. You know, I mean, it, while that's while it's true that like you know we can actually see uh, Anna Karina's face, it's you know got a fairly heavy bit of makeup put on it and a bunch of other stuff like that that makes it not as clear as hey look that's just Goddard with sunglasses. <laughs> uh, you know that that was a, that's a different experience there, but yeah, I had forgotten, and it's just sort of interesting to be reminded that uh, he's in. Cleo five to seven right. via this film right. in like the weirdest possible way. Right. Right. And after, you know, we had a a portion of last week's conversation was sort of Goddard centered. Um Yeah. Uh uh so it's uh it's interesting to see him and you know, Goddard Goddard's kind of famous for wearing sunglasses, right? So it's right. 
it's interesting that for a Varda film, Goddard is the sunglasses that are sort of Goddard's trademark are a negative aspect of the character in the film, right? right? Yeah, I mean they're fundamental to the 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 plot, as it were. Yeah, uh, and they are a problem for him. Right, right. That he realizes he shouldn't be wearing these sunglasses, which, <laughs> right, which I don't know, you know, how early in his career he became, you know, so many early promo shots are him in the sunglasses, right? Um, right, right, right. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know how early in his filmmaking career he was uh, known for having them, but it kind right. of feels like. Varda making fun of him for wearing them. <laughs> it it does, and I would I I mean, I would I, I would venture to guess, based on what we've <laughs> learned about Goddard and some of and and generally the the French New Wave in general that that cadre of the 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 the, the, the French play magazine that I can't say <laughs> the name of because like I'm just laughing. Okay, here's at the cinema, stuff. and I'm probably saying yeah. it wrong, but. Yeah, uh, I always read it as like cash register, cinema <laughs> cash, or something like cashiers, that. So I, I mean, cashiers like, of cinema. Yes, yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's the way I read it. Um, so, I think to some extent, and again, this is just a speculation based on nothing other than what we've seen in terms of like in general with the French New Wave as a whole. Almost is the sunglasses have to be part of a a, a cultivated persona, right? Yeah. It's like this is a choice made. I mean, it's no different than you know we we're all guilty of it in in one way or another, or you know, quite extensively usually. But like, especially in times like high school and stuff, where people wear or do things that are very clearly affected things for the purposes of like cultivating a sort of personality that also presents a sort of a mask that helps to sort of right, shield right. from direct personal critique and 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 because you know that's a very vulnerable time and stuff like that um and we see it does continue on right like plenty of movie stars and and um and singers and stuff have those sort of cultivated personality yeah. things that aren't actually personality they're just appearance things, in affection yeah generate a sort of yeah a kind of a you know right. an appearance of a personality so, I assume that probably Goddard was doing Goddard, that and had been doing that for a while. Goddard had already been doing that. Uh, in fact, there is an introduction to uh, this uh, this short um, on some DVD, maybe on this DVD, and I just missed it. Um, but uh, but Varda describing what she wanted, her two goals for this movie. Uh, yeah. One were to be... Uh, something to reduce Cleo's anxiety in story to put right, this okay. at the beginning yeah, of that, the third which act, it, which it, which yeah. it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other, she says, uh, make fun of Goddard. <laughs> essentially. Um, <laughs> here, my other goal was to show Jean-Luc Goddard's eyes. At that time, he wore very dark, <laughs> dark glasses and we were friends. He agreed to shoot this little thing about glasses where he has to take them off. And so we see his beautiful eyes. Those big eyes like Buster Keaton. Um, yeah. So, you know, I hadn't thought about that. He does have a... He does have kind of a Keaton-esque look. 
Especially, yeah, he has a kind know. of Keaton vibe. Honestly, I was I had not thought about that, but that's very in uh, this film in particular. And yeah. of course, this film is aping on right. You know, of course, yes, silent film era sort of stuff, but. Which I I adore. I I love I love me some Keystone Cops and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. I I do enjoy that, and I it's in it is delightful to see it sort of rehashed in a in a way that is both you know making fun, but also clearly from people who enjoyed a lot of silent film in you know yeah in their own in their own right. You know what I mean? Right. And watching it, you know, this also gives us kind of a. a an opportunity to reflect on Cleo from five to seven, you know, right? Uh, all many, so many years later, has. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you rewatched it. I rewatched. Yeah, it. we, we have both, both rewatched it, it in the last couple <laughs> couple months. Um, you even, you know, last couple weeks. Yeah, like last week. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's how it actually functions within the film. Obviously, Varda Varda says all she really wanted from it was to release the pressure from Cleo. Um, right, you know, at the beginning of the third act. Uh, so, you know, how it reflects what Cleo's going through and what uh, what the themes of that movie are in general, this is, Anna Karina's character is almost an automaton in this movie, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, at, well, I mean, she literally goes rigid. <laughs> right. Almost constantly. Right. right. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> It's surprising no one pulls out a big uh, uh, ratchet to, like, yeah, crank her up again. Yeah, winds her up again. Yeah, her up again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, you get a little a little fun poked at her at her friend Goddard, who is, you know, pretty constantly ripping her off. So, <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Cleo... I can't remember the specifics of how we talked about Cleo. I remember liking it, I don't but it was remember. so long ago. I, mean, I, can't, I, I, can't I remember really. kind of, and I still, to a certain weird extent, do a little bit stand by what I said then. I get it more now than yeah. I did then, for sure. Yeah. I think my main critique of it at the time was that it felt kind of, like kind of all over the place because of the way you constantly keep moving from place to place with Cleo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like it has a, like it's hard. It, I don't. I still feel that that cre- and I feel now that that makes sense because it's part of the anxiety, right? right? Right. You're like this is a woman trying to put out of her mind that which she does not want to think about, right? Right. Like I mean, and so she's doing all the things she can do to to get rid of it. Right. I didn't she's, quite understand that busy. to the level, <laughs> right? What she's staying. Yeah. Busy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't quite understand that to the level that I understand that now, partially because of just, you know, life changes. Right, and right. right. Like, that was six, seven years ago. Eight, that may have been even, like, I don't even know what year that would have been. Yeah. Um, and But also, like, also just a be- now I have a much better understanding of where, like, what right. Varda does. Right, right. right. Like, and I now understand that that film is much, I think, much better than I gave it credit for at the time. I think I kind of just sort of wrote it off as just part of French New Wave, just sort of right. like as the whole of French New Wave because, you know, I mean, we've watched a lot of French New Wave films and, right, like, right. they start to kind of run together sometimes. That's fair. Um, <laughs> that's fair. 
<laughs> Mostly because we've watched a lot of Goddard films and a lot of Truffaut right, yeah, films. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying, yeah. And now I come to understand that, like, oh, like this all is kind of the opposite way around. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. And that's actually what, in my rewatch of Cleo, what, what really hit me this time uh, was the, you know, knowing more about Varda, the function of the end and her relationship with, with the guy she meets in the last right, act. Right, absolutely. Um, and how, in many ways, he about to be shipped to and drafted and shipped off to Afghanistan for a war, and and her stuck in her uh, pop star thing that she's in. They are right. both victims of the wider society who have forced right. them into this cookie They've cutter. They got that box, yeah, right. that they have to be in, right? right? Yeah. Right, he's got to go prove his manhood or whatever in a war he right. pretty obviously does not agree with, um, right? Even if he's not overt about it. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm a thing that I, I don't, we didn't, we, I don't feel like I remember us talking about that very much at all. Right, I don't think we talked first, about that in the first, the first and episode. Thing that, and the thing that I've, I'm curious, I, I, I don't know enough about French history to know, was he? Did he join or was he drafted? I feel like he was drafted, and I feel like that might be explicit. Right. But, That's what but I maybe. feel, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Uh, in either case, it is the two of them sort of finally coming together and uh, Cleo finding a peace with this guy. Right. And both of them are facing incredibly uncertain futures, right? Right, and... and- yeah, and I mean, for for me personally, I and I know we're like way off track of right, what we're supposed right. to be talking about, but like I find him a little annoying. <laughs> but I also have come to understand that that might also be because of nerves and anxiety. It's yeah. a thing that I never really regarded last time. I right, don't think right, right, but right. Like part of him being kind of annoying is that like he's also dealing. He's with actually a lot of he is portraying anxiety. all of this anxiety, right? Right, and right, I think exactly. They're they're I both handling it different ways, right. but they are both dealing with like massive anxiety think, about their future. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, now, where that ties back into uh, the fiancés <laughs> to Port McDonald of McDonald's, I don't know. I don't Sorry. know that Varda necessarily wants this film to reflect. Um. But it is, it is still, no, she she certainly does. Because what do we see with Anna's character? First off, she's automaton, as we've already said. Right. She's rigid. She has, she does, no she has very yeah, little agency. Um, yeah. and, and maybe that is even more true of a woman of her position at the time that film is set. Uh, but, but certainly Cleo herself feels trapped in the same way. And then we have the dichotomy of what, uh, Goddard's character sees um, of what Jean-Luc sees, but uh, but it ends with with both of those options still on the table, right? Because the ambulance and the uh, and the hearse both pull away in the as as it fades right. out, um, and that's really where Cleo's at, right? Because she's on the precipice of finding out whether or not she has a terminal cancer, so right. You know, it it is reflective <laughs> to a certain extent. Then I don't know if I were in Cleo's position, if watching this movie would have calmed, actually make you feel better, calmed any yeah, anxiety no, whatsoever. Yeah, I, uh, that's what I that's what I was thinking about when I was watching this. I <laughs> yeah. was like, this wouldn't make me feel better, <laughs> right? right. 
I mean, unless you just really, she just actively is refusing to sort of like take it right, deeper right. than just being as a goofy movie, right? And it is. It's Which, silly, again, it's goofy, it's In fun. this situation, yeah. Yeah. She might be trying to actively avoid thinking about it on a deeper level. And it is a goofy, like, Buster Keaton kind of thing. Right. So, additionally, it's not, un- like, unreasonable to just ignore maybe the, like, subtler message of this Buster Keaton film kind right, of thing. Right, right. Right, so. It's... It is very fun though, and I'm I I was happy to have the opportunity to revisit that, and happy to yeah. uh, happy to have revisited Cleo, too. That is, that is one of the few times in this whole process that I have gone back to a film we watched previously, um, hmm. that I hadn't already enjoyed. You know, like I've watched the Third Man again since well, we watched yeah, it mean, for the episode, but I'd watched the Third it. Man five yeah. times before we watched it for the episode. Right, right? exactly. So. That, same here, yeah. right? Like, I mean, like, the few that are like that for me in the collection are films that I've watched countless times anyway. Right, right. Uh, whereas this one, yeah, I'm I'm glad to have done it, though, because it, it really, I I will never be able to remember, and, will, and at this point, I think it probably even crossed the threshold of not even being accessible except through the website, what we talked about in that episode. Right, but right. I do remember not being as fair to it as I could have <laughs> right, been. Right, right, right. But know that's what? generally my case for everything. I always oh, yeah. look back on every episode like, man, I should have been nicer yeah. to the film. I get that. I guess. I get that. That's just how I feel every <laughs> on time. Twitter, on Twitter this past week, I described Lost in Criterion as the uh, the only Criterion podcast that is uh, combative toward the Criterion collection. Yeah. And uh, that may not be true. I, as far as us being the only one, but I think I think it is kind of true about our relationship with the Criterion Collection. Yeah, so. I mean, I would say that you know, I mean, it, yeah, and it's weird because it, it's it's combative with the collection itself, which is right, a weird, right, right. a weird place to be. Like, I actually like a lot of the movies we oh, watch, yeah, but I still absolutely. kind of get angry at this collection a lot. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, you know what movie I had that I watched tons of times before we watched it for the episode and have not revisited since uh time bandits i have not watched time bandits again since yeah me neither i i i yeah i don't know same same here i don't know why yeah uh something something happened i guess i guess um (laughs) having to actually talk about it intellectually just purged it from yes kind of just ruined the fun i guess i guess possible uh maybe all right pat let's move on to uh to another one of the other Another. One of the ones that's not four minutes long. One of the ones, <laughs> hey, five twenty or so. Um, yeah, you're right. You're not wrong. <laughs> well, both of our other films came out in 1958, uh, which is, and they could not look more different. That, they that's really could. That's the charm. Of yeah, this. yeah. Uh, that is. Is that this? That is four years before Cleo from five to seven. Mm-hmm. From five to I've, seven, yes. I've lost track. Two from five to seven came out on sixty-two. So, so that is uh, that is uh, these are earlier. Uh, as far as her career goes, uh, they point court was in fifty-five, and uh, and then yeah, Cleo from five to seven was her next feature film in sixty-two. So these are these are made between her first two feature films, um, right? And as I said, one is a tourist documentary and the other is a sort of, yeah, I think you were right to call it sort of a diary thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, they call it that. They even, there's, I've seen a few references calling it that like a travel diary. That I would say is probably (laughs) not a hundred percent true. Yeah. I think it's framed as a diary, like a, 
like uh it's basically a vlog but like <laughs> um it is it is very clearly intentionally artistic yeah in the sense that like it it you know i i'm having trouble like explaining what i mean but like basically what i mean is like it's not just a diary like right. it's clearly made with intention and purpose to like convey a message and things like that um it's definitely about life and death for sure right and uh without a doubt and birth and well right Children i mean i was sort of like wrapping all yeah. all that yeah no there's there's a, it, it, there's a lot going on in it it is you know a uh a documentary about the neighborhood uh in a lot of ways because it it really is just documentary footage of people in the neighborhood over and over again you know right. uh with uh unsynchronized uh audio and right. dialogue over it that is reflective maybe of what's going on but not actually a description of what's going on we right, have these right. title cards that sort of introduce us to the concept of what we're seeing um in broad strokes uh you know and and without them we wouldn't understand anything that's going on necessarily well i mean yeah i mean we would understand like there's a good chunk that saying. we would understand but there is some that we want like we would understand what it is right. but like we wouldn't understand necessarily why that's the next thing i mean you could probably put it together via just sort of uh you know if you watched it a bunch of times or whatever but like the you know it's 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 a really fascinating thing like it's it just it it demonstrates a thing that i that we all know that is kind of a sad thing about life which is nobody ever looks good in videos that they don't know are being <laughs> taken of them um everybody like which is sort of the unfortunate thing about it is is that i mean it it's uh, it's it's good i mean it's interesting to watch but like when when you pair up uh the elderly mm-hmm. with the prospect of new birth mm-hmm. it does have a tendency to generate a sort of i don't know at least in my mind it generates a sort of a sadness about the whole thing, right? Like that, that is, that is always, I feel kind of unfortunate. Like, it's like when you say things like these people used to be babies, um, it, it it is all, it's all inherently true, but it does almost immediately cut right to the quick about sort of the idea that like how fleeting this, this is and how sad all that is. Um, and of course, I mean, that's probably the goal of the the art piece, but it doesn't make it less sad. And some of that is ratcheted up in that a lot of the old people that we randomly see look like Miyazaki witches. They look like caricatures yes. of old people. <laughs> yes, they do. I mean, she very clear, and that's what I'm saying. Sort of in the when we talk about it being still just a, it's still being an art piece and things yeah. like that, is that like very clear there was intention to who was chosen, and I would say the intention wasn't exactly. I would say necessarily pure of heart. Yes. It does seem to be very intention towards being like picking the oldest older people. Let me like the 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 elderly who look the most like something has happened. Let me flip side that for you a little bit yeah. in a in a thought I had while watching it as well. Uh mm. because you know, I've already said they look like caricatures of old people, so you know, 
I, I had that thought. But another thought I had was that quite a number of them, uh, as they have aged and their, their cheeks have started to sag and their foreheads have started to, to wrinkle, a good chunk of them look like newborns. With, yes, that's also true. With, and I had that same With chubby cheeks and, and wrinkly, <laughs> wrinkly faces. Right. And, and yeah, you get... It's an observation that people make that, like, you know, as as you get older, you kind of become sort of childlike again. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, and I, I'm sure that is part of it, right? Like, I mean, that's probably part of our goal, but those things are inseparable from each other, right? right. Like, I mean, I get it. You, like, there's, there's a lot of baggage associated with looking, with like talking about and dealing with the elderly, right? right. Like, right. there just is. And, becoming that slowly over time as a human being right yeah but but we're all going through that process too varda as a young woman uh she's i think in maybe 30 at this point i think i think probably yes this came out the year she turned 30 um right and she's having her first child so she's thinking about mortality you know while she makes this too right so yeah i'm sure she is i mean I would say that you know, again. I I like the the piece a right, lot. Right, right. But I, I, you know, I've I've not been through her process, but I, you know, I have kids, and like, it's it is something you might you do think about, but it's also something that like that the act, you know, having children, especially in the very early years, has a tendency to put those things out of your mind. <laughs> right, also, right, right. Like you sort of for a while forget that like this is going to end. Right, because like when they're really little, or even while you know you're you're you know while you're you're still uh, pregnant, like it, it there's a that seems very 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 far away. Like it like in, like it seems like an eternity away. You're and you're, I wonder if to you're right, and I think that's reflected in the film itself's ending. In that 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 final card doesn't say Finn, it doesn't say the end. It says curtain, right. which is just as much an act break as it is the end of right. a play, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that was very interesting. I think I think she's having playful ideas about mortality too, though, right? because the right. you know in the opening we we get the very pregnant belly of the woman, right. Uh, that we cut to a pumpkin uh, yeah. from like her well, belly one, button to I, the pumpkin. I found that somewhat gruesome. And then the pumpkin was, is, and then the pumpkin is cut up. apart, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a little bit. I agree, uh, but yeah, um, it's just it's it's very interesting. And then and then it's you know it's after after we talk about the faces of the old people and. Then we focus on pictures of dead people, uh, and then we well, get... I mean, yes, de- pictures of dead people while they were like it's important to note that they're not like those old. <laughs> they tiny, are not death photos. Like, they are pictures right, of people. Where they're who like, have well, passed, I mean, they but died, they are pictures of their of life. Them. Yes, right. Um, so there is there's a lot of yes, joy. Yes, there's still a lot you know, of joy so they, in they, those the pictures. Pictures are chosen are very right. positive, and then pictures. from there we segue to the kids in their vaguely racist masks. Uh, running around the neighborhood. I mean, vaguely racist, terrifying. <laughs> you know, children in creepy masks yes. are. You know, and then from the children the in creepy masks, we go to the carnival, which is the adults in creepy masks as well. Um, okay. Which is somehow less scary. 
somehow adults in Creepy Mass are less scary. I don't know. Am I? Is there carnival in this one, or am I thinking of the code? <laughs> yeah, no, it's in here. It's yeah. in here. It's in both. Yeah, it is in yeah. both. Um, yeah. I mean, very different takes on it. <laughs> right, but like exactly. They're, they're both in there. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a lot. A lot. I mean, for such a short piece, it crams a lot in right. Um, <laughs> right. It is, I mean, it's only, what, 15 minutes long they're or about, something? Yeah. It's like, boy. Like, I, I get where it com- it's a neat piece. I get where it comes from. It makes a lot of sense that like it's only fifteen minutes because I don't think you could watch much more <laughs> yeah. than that of it. I mean like it's I mean it's it's got a lot of emotionality packed into a very tight space. Uh so I I it, you know, I, I very much enjoyed it. I don't I I think some of the intentionality of the artistic choices make it less fun than a lot of other like not not that Varda's work is not intentional. It's very intentional. But, like, she gives off the appearance of effortlessness in her other pieces, in her other movies. Right. Yeah. Like, the art... I don't I don't know how to... I really, like, I've been thinking about this a lot since we, like... Part of the charm of the other ones that we have watched is that they feel artistic without feeling like they're trying to be artistic. To me. Right. They feel somewhat effortless. Like, she's so good at what's going on what she's right doing. like it's like she's tapped into the vein of art rather than yeah. like trying to build it from scratch whereas this one feels a little more like something that somebody with a camera in art in film school or not in film school would go out and make to because they want to explore the process of making art does that make sense yeah like which isn't a bad thing it's just feels different than the other Varda pieces to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just it doesn't feel like when you think about the other one, like LaCoin Court or something like that, that is, I know it required a lot of effort, but it feels almost, like, buoyant, and it's, like, yeah, it feels like, oh, I just made this, and guess what? It's amazing. And I think part of that is just the amount of editing in this one is is more than right other yeah. things you know certainly there is it's much more clearly yeah. edited yeah obviously the yeah. the point court had had they're all ended, had right? but yeah you know two interlocking storylines so there's a lot of inter interlocking editing there uh but you know there's a lot of like quick cuts here and 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 that right. sort of thing and we get that in the other films but it's just i don't know it's faster here, it's more it's it's a lot here here it does feel you know, we talked we talked last week too about you know in Le Bon Hoor, there's a lot of like quick quick cuts of you know, um, especially when uh, when the the second wife comes onto the scene and there's just all the right, little yeah the, yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, I don't no, I agree with you that this does feel different, but but I also really can't articulate why, and and we joked about that it's last hard, week. Yeah. That we that you you had a tough time articulating what what makes a Varda film recognizable as a Varda film, right? Because it's and I still do. Yeah. It's really hard to talk about, right? Right? Because it's there is something there that if you watched just a random thing, you might be able to identify it as a Varda film, even if it, even one of her documentaries. But right. even though everything about it is totally. <laughs> 
like it's a different topic, right. it's a different right. style, it's a different everything. Like the the two longer pieces we watched for this today could not be more different. Right, right, right. Um, I would say that this one, I think to a certain extent, is the one that feels less Varda-y to me than the one about tourism, believe it or not. <laughs> right, the one that was, I don't the one that was clearly that is, a hired work. <laughs> right, still feels very like, yes, Varda made that. Yeah. You can tell because there's this weird, like, tongue in, I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's got a, a, a charm to it that, like, yeah. Is like not that this well, isn't charming part. either, but still, no, this yeah. is. It's just yeah. it just feels different, and, and I, I will never probably be able to right. articulate. And why, Cleo, honestly. Cleo plays with the same themes of of mortality in very different ways. Uh, yeah, and this and Cleo's much more a personal diary about a single female character. Whereas this is maybe a diary of just what's going on in Varda's head while she's pregnant. Uh, right. And maybe that's it. It's so personal. that it's, Yeah, that might be part of it. Yeah, yeah, it feels much, it's much more connected to her life than, right. I mean, obviously all of her films are things she's thinking about and wants to talk about, but there's a difference between a film about yourself and a film about a thing that you think is interesting to talk about. Right. Right. Uh, for sure. And then, you know, there's there's bits of like symbolism in this movie that I really have no idea what to think about. Like the woman eating that flower at the end, what is a hyacinth or a honeysuckle or something. Yeah, I'm I, I found that very confusing. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Like I'm like, am I dumb? Are you <laughs> can you just do that? Like I mean, I know you can eat flower certain flowers, but like, like she's eating I've it never she's eating it like just, like she's being fed grapes is how she's eating it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like that, and then I was like, "Did did Varda have that sort of that maternal issue where like a vitamin consumption where she just started eating flowers or like dirt and stuff? Maybe, like, maybe, maybe People that is the reflective of it. Maybe it is just something about her food. Actually, cravings. a personal story. You know, this yeah. is this is a yeah. movie that is very much about food as well, too. Right? We get it yeah. framed yeah. as as being about the market district of of Moof. So. Um, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of interesting things going on that maybe, maybe I, in not being Varda, we don't know everything yeah, well, that's happening know, here, yeah. which is, it's certainly possible, which is possible and fine too. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. Yeah, totally. I mean, well, that, that just makes it even more like intensely personal. Right. Though. I mean, that's what would make it, that's kind of like there's something we have right. not experienced from her and probably I don't know if we ever will again right right something that personal so yeah I don't I mean, know. we do have other Varda to watch but uh, yeah well yeah I mean I don't know how many and I don't know what sort of level of personal I, I mean sort of what I've seen of Varda the closest I feel is perhaps the final minutes of Faces Places and Faces Places is a travel movie about her and and Jr. going around. Um, but but we talked about the final sequence. I think maybe on air last week. Maybe it wasn't on air. But uh, I think it was. But uh, she attempts to meet Goddard for the last sequence of the movie, and Goddard stands her up, and she has a bit of a breakdown because of it. And I still, you know, watching it, I have no idea if this is 
a legit thing or if this is a bit. Uh, really don't know. Um, but but in that we get we get an emotional Varda. Now she did her final film is a documentary about herself. <laughs> that is a, right. a Varda well, I mean, on Varda reflection, which is a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which a which I haven't matter. seen. Uh, and I'm sure if we we watched, we would certainly get that feel <laughs> as well, um, because I don't having watched later work as well. I don't feel like she's lost anything by the time she gets to to her older years. Um, but yeah, uh, Le Apromouf is uh, it's just it is a fascinating piece, and it's I mean, a, yeah, it's a it's a good watch. I yeah. mean, it's it's definitely something that I'm glad I saw. Right, like I'm glad I saw something like this from her it gives me a whole different perspective on you know the way she thinks about things because it's again because of that personal right sort of personalness of it uh, but yeah right right so there's also another one we also watched another movie we did watch another one and we've already talked about it a little bit but well sort of but we have it in detail the Côte de la Côte, uh which is a film about the Mediterranean coast of France, the the Cote d'Azur, uh, uh, no Cote d'Or, no what is what do they call it? It's it's the the French Riviera, but I feel like it has a has a Cote du something name as well. I I mean uh, I would not know the answer yeah. to this question. The uh, the Criterion translates the uh, title as coasting along the coast, which I really I really like. <laughs> it's it's a dumb little and play I'm on words. I'm pretty sure that's but... how it's rendered inside the the movie yeah, as well. Yeah. Like when they, like, they, I think they treat it. There, I think the goal was to replicate the feeling of that pun. Yeah, yeah. The I am sure that the French is also right, a pun, right? Which is something that phases was something that phases places also does. Uh, in that the the original French title is villages visages, which would be right. would be towns and images, right? Or, uh, but. But at the you know for the American title they have faces places which is yeah it's great um, right yeah I mean there's a you know I think one of the goals that in the and I think this is a very admirable goal uh, for sure is to I- even in the title hold on to Varda's playfulness right right like it, it's so important to as I've come to understand it's so important to who she is as a director and probably as a person. That like there's this it's worthwhile to make sure that that sort of stays right in the even in the title right yeah yeah and this <laughs> this film this film I wish I knew the actual uh, history of this film so that I could <laughs> yeah so I could I could understand you know if she was hired I to do this. Made. Why it what got made? What says it was paid for by? Yeah, the French the tourist office commissioned French it. Tourism office. So, yeah. so that so, is I mean, true. She was hired, right? Now, whether or not it's a <laughs> it's a classic Tokyo Olympiad <laughs> scenario, right? I don't know. <laughs> did they ever actually use it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, did they get it and be like, "What <laughs> this did is, you give this us? This is not what we wanted." <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. Well, guess what? The contract didn't say you had to give. I had to give you what you wanted. <laughs> Now it was or something to that effect. It was selected for uh the Tours uh short film festival. It uh won a tourist film prize at the uh Brussels Film Festival in nineteen fifty nine. Nice. Uh 
I mean, it makes sense, though. If you think about the fact that this is an area where film is also very important. Yeah. It would ma- it does kind of make sense that your your tourist film for the place where film is very important should be somewhat artistic, right? Right. right. It shouldn't just be like the most boring travel documentary ever. Right. Right. So it's and I think that it's reflective there. It's it's two narrators with with a fun interplay. Uh yep. it is a movie that re- fully embraces the idea of artifice um, in yes. in tourist of like tourist attractions. Um uh in some very I mean, interesting yeah. ways, and even at one moment in a very dark way that I was surprised about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but the way I, I, yeah, go ahead. The way Sorry. the way it opens with a with an open rejection of talking about the locals at all. Yeah, yeah, where it's like they're not important, <laughs> right? No one cares about this them. Discussion. <laughs> You're here for tourism. Yeah. Why would you care? About the people that you all assume are we'll just leave, we'll leave them to their donkeys people. and their oxes. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Yeah. And they only ever get shown in the periphery, and even at that point, yeah. Uh it's. I mean, this is I. This, I I'm gonna adopt a, a very strange state. This may be one of my favorite Varda things ever. <laughs> it's. It really is great. Like I like, I really, really like the wa- the movies we watched in this collection. Yeah, but this is possibly one of the funniest things I've ever we've watched for this collection. Oh yeah, in a very subtle, very like very gentle way. It's not like it's not a comedy, but I giggled a lot while I was watching this to the confusion of my family. Yeah. If I'm uh, if who we're not paying attention. If I'm reading this information right, and I, I can't say for certain I am because I'm reading Google's auto translation of the French Wikipedia page, this yeah. movie was released as the opener to Hiroshima Monomore. That this was a short wow. that played before Hiroshima Monomore. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's weird. That is even more bizarre. I am going to adopt a, fr- a term I try not to use on this podcast after somebody noted I use it way too much. That is that's weird. that is weird. Yeah. That's like straight up just actually weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like how do those even interplay at all? But but even think about that in really a classic American film sense that this is the cartoon before the feature. Right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. That's I I got to I got to go sit down. <laughs> That's really This is that is kind of bizarre. Yeah. Like I can't like uh this I mean, let's see. I was I was somewhat mean to Hiroshima Monomore, but like in some ways I believe it deserves it. Um <laughs> uh this would make that even more of a strange experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you watch this and then you went into that like they don't bear anything really in common. Yeah, yeah. So under on the technical sheet is a a section of the the French Wikipedia page that includes the title, director, all that information. Um, what would normally just be in the little upper right box on a on a film Wikipedia page, right? 
And then release dates. It says 1958 at the Tour Short Film Festival, June 14th, 1959 in theaters, and in parenthesis, in addition to Hiroshima, Hiroshima Mon Amour by Resnais. Uh Yeah. So that's that's just fascinating. Well, I mean, what we that just is. need to get better. We just need to get better at French, clearly. But like, maybe um, if I looked at this in the original French, can I? I don't know if I can make Google untranslate it. So, if you click on the little like uh, text thingy up in the corner in your search bar, if you click on ah, the thing that shows like go. a translation yeah, icon, you can switch it back over. Uh, uh, let's uh, see if my my off the cuff. Yeah, in cl- in compliment. Of Hiroshima and more. Yeah, which yeah. would definitely be like a, a, a double feature. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, well, not quite a double feature because this is not feature length. But yeah, nonetheless, the point stands. <laughs> anyway, that's nuts. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is nuts. Um, but yeah, the way this movie talks about tourists, the way it talks about tourism, the way it talks about tourist destinations in the Riviera region. The way it makes fun yeah. of over other European cultures visiting the French Riviera, and how yeah. many of them do, uh, and then the way it talks about everything closing down, and this is where it gets dark. And what I find just in there's just this incredibly poignant line <laughs> at the end. They're talking about all these things named for this Eden in the area, right? And uh, and it's toward the end of summer, and and it says uh, this Eden is not for the public, uh, not for us, much like the real one. <laughs> um, right. Uh, let me see if I can get the exact quote because I yeah I remember that though yeah, I accidentally right closed my <laughs> closed my notes. It's showing exclusively a band like empty yeah, uh, yeah. tourist attractions. There's yeah. no people anymore right and it says the fake eden is not for us any more than the real eden and yeah that's just wow (laughs) yeah very Uh, poignant right yeah uh i wasn't expecting some weird theology to pop up in the middle of my (laughs) at the (laughs) end of my tourism video either (laughs) yeah well i mean well and it's got it talks about the 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 dead being the the luxury like the the yeah. tourists of luxury and yeah the, there's a lot of th- this this movie cuts deep for what is essentially a hey come check out the French Riviera film right right um, like maybe you should be buried well, on the French Riviera and always yeah. have this view forever <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's I also I am also deeply enamored with just the phrase giant virgins but. Uh, <laughs> If I'm going to be honest, uh, the giant virgin never made it and, into and the church. Surprise, giant virgins! Yeah, it's just you know, I found that that was right. Th- right. This movie so effortlessly blends weird comedic, like very like very funny comedic. Oh yeah. hits with things like, oh you're, not, yeah, yeah Eden that, isn't for you. That, it's not for me. It's not for you. That bit in particularly. In particular, with the with the reveal of the of the giant Mary statue, yeah, reminded yeah, I just, me. I died. I literally. Yeah. I ended up watching it like four times because yeah. I just wanted to like. It reminded. Do you remember know, really those uh, hastily made Cleveland tourism videos from uh, from like fifteen years ago? Yeah, uh, that part just reminded me of those for some reason. 
just because it's so making fun of what you're supposed to be advertising. And obviously those were made completely right. tongue-in-cheek, right? No one hired him to actually do it. Right, but, right, right. But by the same turn, do you think the French tourist board hired Varda to make a to blasphemous make joke? Uh, that mate? I mean, probably not. Probably not. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. The French are... A different people than me. That's true. I don't fully understand. That's true. I I will never. I would never argue that I I'm fully uh, capable of understanding uh, French culture. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe blasphemy is fun, <laughs> cool, well regarded. <laughs> well, certainly it depends. Going to go with probably not. It depends but, on yeah. what what part of French culture we're talking about. Uh, because I don't think that joke would have flown in, say, an Eric Romare film. But, but Romare right. had had some sort of weird Catholicism going on that, who knows? Uh, but yeah, uh, it was hilarious. And I also yeah. laughed very much and yeah. watched it a couple I, of I, times. I, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I just, I, I referenced it in the intro, but like, for example, like uh, that was weird. I just heard a knocking outside my door. Um, I uh, I also was just sort of enamored with like enamored is a, is a funny choice of words, but with like the the way that it treats the the people who are visiting almost resembles at times a nature documentary, right? Uh, like sharp close ups of people who don't know they're being filmed, right? Ha- makes a re- and 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 them doing things like sunbathing right like w- it's a very different thing when you take a shot like that of people walking on the street or something but when you get it like when they're kind of cavorting and having fun it does pick up a sort yeah. of um the other kind of nature document i expect they i i, I expect some sort of attenborough right right voice there's also a great to, like a great moment in the sun the sunbathing sequence is uh where she started, they start filming uh, people so that you can't see their heads, but something else is yes. taking the place of their head. First a child yeah. and then a dog for one of them. And just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's very well, funny. And, and, and then, yeah. And, it, and then as part of it, it also sort of picks up a sort of a vibe of like really early, like um, anthropological uh, videos, you know, you can, oh, yeah. um, like where like, where they go into like, they've got the, tent of the of the older ladies right, in there right. and like they talk about him as though it's like this is a culture in and of itself yeah. of like and the elders like, and oh, it happens. These are the, the one she's describing yeah, as the, the cultural elder is holding that walking stick like it like it's yeah, yeah like it's the staff of the the chief yeah yeah it's really it's pretty amazing it's it is i don't know that it helped get anybody to go to the french riviera but yeah. it is the way the narration and the editing plays in this, it is almost as if someone just pr- provided her with two hours of footage. Yeah, with footage. <laughs> yeah, that's, I would agree. Yeah. I don't think that, that's obviously not what happened. Right. <laughs> but it does feel that way. And that, that's, I find that, I love those kinds of things anyway. Right. I, I'm, I really love it when you get like a, somebody doing a remix of like some old video and making it, taking it totally out of context and change it entirely. Right. 
uh, is something I really, really enjoy. And this has that feel, despite the fact that we know she filmed the, right, the footage. Right, right, And we know that she filmed the footage because a lot of it is very uncomfortable. <laughs> a lot of it is in a, in a humorous way. Right, but, like, right. there's a lot of close-ups of, like, sunbathing bodies that are, like, meant to make you be like, oh, that looks uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Like, right. You know, and then we get. No one, no one would purposely shoot pictures of a bunch of deflate, uh, defaced plant life. Yeah. As a part of two hours of sort of just non. Right. Right. You know, like she did that on purpose. She wanted to talk about that. Whereas like if it were just two hours of sort of rando footage, it wouldn't have some of that kind of stuff in it. Right. But it does have that feel to it, which is really a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really, this is just a lot of fun. And then the, you know, now there, there's that moment of very darkness at the end, but then we also get the the jump cuts of everything closing down where it's a shot of the beach with all the umbrellas open and then the same shot with all the umbrellas closed, you know. And right. somehow it's... I mean, we talk about the, the doorman at the Grand right. Hotel. I found that really, I mean, that there was a lot of... Um, it was sort of tongue in cheek, but also quite s- sort of somber in its tone. Right. It's like, what? What does he do now? Like, like right. Yeah, so that stuff is right, right. And you know, any any French tourist movie that takes as many pot shots as the English, I just have to like. <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to admire it, right? right? Especially since like it's meant it is ostensibly a film probably meant mainly to attract right. the English. Right. It's very clear. The English love the French Riviera, and that is their bread and butter tourist-wise. And this is uh, kind of make fun of it directly to their yes, faces. Supposedly, this is a pro-tourism film. So, I love it. I... Unless I, I mean, unless I guess, this was like, shot, you just have to hope. Unless this was shot for like some sort of tourism board uh, shareholders meeting, where where it's, yeah, right. it's we're like, supposed now to we're going to make fun of our customers, right, right? Where it's just them bragging about how much money they made. Um, yeah, I mean, I could. I don't think so. No, I, I my guess so. would be like, um, I mean, it is in French, so maybe it was more domestic than anything right, else. Right. But um, even then, like. It's not like it wasn't going to be seen by somebody right. who I guess in you know in that regard maybe it, it it makes fun of the English as a way of enticing people to come to the Riviera and make fun of the English. It's so much fun. Right, right, right. Come MSD three K You don't even have to leave France. You can see all the you can see all the 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 uh English wildlife you can all the want. English wildlife and all the places we've colonized right here on the French Riviera. Oh yeah, I mean we don't. Yeah, there's. Yeah, that's a whole other thing, right? Like, I mean, I assume that's you know, you there's no other reason you would have those little jabs about right the different structures and the different things, right? And the fact that like it's a garden full of things that aren't native to France, right? Yeah, uh, and they you know they specifically point that out, right? And they point it out in yeah. a way that is not. It's so admirable that someone was able to put together this beautiful garden of plants from all over the world. No, it's none of this stuff belongs here. Just like the English. Yeah. And it's very <laughs> and then it's all defaced. Yeah. It's all like covered in like people's like Right. Uh names and stuff. Right. It's yeah. You know, 
it, 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 it's got like that, that generates such an, like an intense level of layers, right? It's like all these things that don't belong here are also just nature being horribly defaced by a million, a million too many people right. walking through this place. Right. There's just a lot going on. And even that one scene has so much sort of contextual information packed into it. It's kind of amazing. Like you're watching the the, the tourists sort of mill through it like cattle through like a, a cattle corral while they're also just defacing apparently everything around them that they can get their hands on. But it's also stuff that doesn't even belong here in the first place. It's just there's just so much stuff. Yeah. There. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this short. I'm definitely I, a fan, too. I don't know when I'll ever have an opportunity to like need to watch it again. Right. But so so Eden Rock, the uh, the Eden that they're questioning, where is it? And ultimately say, well, it's not it's not for us. Uh, right. It's a uh, let's see the Kennedy family summered there in in 38 when when JFK okay. was 21 years old. It was built. At, it's a resort that was built in 1869 as a private mansion uh, and opened as a hotel in 1887. Uh, it's on an island off the coast of the Riviera, uh, if I'm reading this information right. Um, uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton uh, met here when they are having an affair and then had their honeymoon here <laughs> there after they got married. <laughs> There's something very morbid about right. that. Uh it's uh it was cash only until 2006 wow what a place what a place boy yeah i mean like if i were going to name in our in our modern nightmare universe something to call eden that sounds exactly like what it would sound like and so i mean that that adds a whole another level to the it's not for us because like who here could ever possibly go there right, right? i mean right not not even just that, like it's a tourist thing that like you're just not going to go to. You can't go because you can't afford to go there. Yeah, there's a lot here. I I love it. Um, but yeah, I mean I don't really have anything else to say about it. Alas, or I've hit my the end of my rope on that. Right, right. Here's an interesting aspect of Eden Rock history. Uh, an American couple by the name of Gerald and Sarah Murphy. Um who were obviously wealthy, uh, especially given the next part of the sentence, rented the entire hotel for a summer, which, according to Wikipedia, was abnormal because the Riviera was not a summertime destination at the time. Uh, This was in the 20s. Uh, And the Murphys uh, had some friends uh, and had some some friends who you uh, might be surprised to learn about um okay. f scott fitzgerald and ernest ernest hemingway both okay. both stayed at eden rock that summer <laughs> wow yeah uh what a combination what what why can't i have i'm not saying i could write like hemingway if i had friends like the murphys but I could write more like it Hemingway. It certainly wouldn't hurt. I, yeah. Yeah. It, w- it certainly would not like negatively impact your ability to just like fuck off and just go write whenever you want right, to. Right. Right. Just go spend the summer in France. These weirdos flew me to this French Riviera Island yeah. for the summer 
So, I mean, I guess I don't have any other responsibilities. <laughs> right, right. Oh, goodness. Um. <laughs> See, I think what I've been learning is is that from everything we've ever talked about is that I think 80% of being a, a good, air quotes, good writer is just being a really good con man. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And since you like ingratiate yourself in there, you get it locked down, you make it so that they feel like they can't kick you out, and then you're good. You're good to go. Now you can write. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, well, this has been fun, but I think it's probably time for us to draw this one to a close. This week we're talking about three uh, short films by Agnes Varda, finishing up the four by Agnes Varda box set. We talked about the Opera Mouffe, De Côte de la Côte, both from 1958, and the fiancé's Dupont MacDonald, which is the film contained within Cleo from <laughs> 5 to 7. And all will never stop being a funny sounding uh, name yeah, to me. But they're all delightful in their own right and uh and happy to take the time to talk about them individually instead of shoving them into uh, a spine number episode. Uh next week we will be talking about another Goddard film. Uh uh Pierre Le Fou, uh Pierre Pierrot Pierrot Le Fau. Uh Pierrot the Madman. From 1965. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So that'll be Goddardy. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it will. But we do look forward to it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oetari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. It's me. It is you. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Hoatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it. A thing I wonder now is like what what we're on spine what for this would have been for 19 or so i kind of wonder where we fall in the spectrum of how dumb about movies we are <laughs> because the way we want we're watching them is so haphazard that like it doesn't have the sort of intention of a curriculum or a right or right. or that but like the presumption also that like somehow film classes in schools are sort of the uh, the bastion of knowledge about right. how to think about film is I, I I'm very dubious about I'm dubious about that with regards to almost any form of education um, as that's kind of part of my job. Adam has 
Adam has said this to this to me in the past. Uh, he went to film school, and right. he believes that you and I have watched more French and Italian film than a film school education would give us. I was kind of wondering, and that if might that be is true. true of French and Italian, it has to be true of Japanese. It has to be true of Swedish. It has to be true of Czechoslovakian. Right, right, absolutely. Now, yeah, I mean, mind you, in a film school education about those would probably not include a lot of them. It would include a couple highlights, and that would be it. But, like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, at what point, like, I'm fine with us being idiots. Like, that's that's our deal. Uh, But it's just a weird thing because, like, it's not formal training. We almost need like some sort of new phrasing for like what we are in terms of like right, our right because like, we're still idiots. We're still Let's idiots, here. and we're still not we're still not film buffs by any means. No, but we are no. guys who have watched a shit ton of films. 